It is really important that the trials are diverse because it allows us to know as researchers that this vaccine works in everybody. And so that we can say it works across different populations, young and old, different racial and ethnic groups. I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the November 11th update of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. There you will also find all of our previous COVID-19 programs and have access to other free CE programs on a wide range of topics. Today's learning objectives are describe challenges of vaccine coverage among minority populations and discuss the importance of including diverse populations in clinical trials of vaccines. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Pfizer Incorporated and in kind by DKB Med. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Allwater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He will be interviewing Dr. Risha Renee Irvin, Assistant Professor specializing in infectious disease at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. They will be discussing the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on people of color and the importance of recruitment diversity in vaccine clinical trials. Dr. Allwater, Dr. Irvin, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you, Faith, and I'm delighted that Dr. Risha Irving has joined us today, and uh, Dr. Irving has done some uh, uh, fantastic work in uh, viral diseases, specifically hepatitis C, and uh, working in many of our communities here in uh, Baltimore, uh, but has also been engaged a little more recently in the pandemic uh, with immunizations. So the topic, especially, I, I think, uh, Risha, uh, that has come up is with the very preliminary news about a Pfizer vaccine, which I think has surprised many of us, as being more effective than we uh, possibly could have imagined. Of course, uh, we'll see how the numbers pan out as more uh, data come forthwith. But I wanted to just speak a little bit uh, before we get into what this means is just You've been working uh, in doing vaccine trials now for COVID-19, and I wanted to get your, your perspectives, just um, especially with some of your patients here in the Baltimore communities, uh, where we have a, a number of different groups and so on. Uh, what's been the impact generally in our uh, Baltimore community, and might how that mirror what's going on in other parts of the country? Um, so I think when we think about kind of the impact of COVID-19 and what we've seen in Baltimore and nationally, COVID-19 has really just kind of put a bright light on health disparities. Many of these that we knew existed, um, when we look at other chronic diseases like diabetes, kidney disease, heart disease, um, we see these health disparities 
particularly when we look at African-American communities, Latinx communities, Native American um, communities, and Alaskan Native communities. Um, and so COVID-19 has really highlighted um, that again. Um, when we think about health disparities, we see kind of differences in health that are often related to systematic challenges that different groups in our country have gone through. With COVID-19, what we've seen with both kind of our case rate, um, hospitalizations, we've seen increased numbers amongst African-Americans and Latinx um, communities, and again with American Indian and Alaskan Native communities. And I think what's also been very concerning is that when we look at the death rate, particularly when we think about African-Americans, it's about 2.5 times higher than that of white Americans. Um, I think we've seen disproportionate impact here in Baltimore, but again, that's been documented nationally now. And there's some great data coming out of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and other studies that people have been doing kind of to look at these differences, but to also try to tease out why these um, differences are actually occurring as well. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's obviously a, a combination of factors, I think. Um, as you've mentioned, it can be um, a disorders potentially inherent in the person. It can be their health problems. It may be access to care. And uh, certainly this has been an issue for many, many years, as you point out. One of the issues I think that's uh, particularly important is what is your sense of how this has impacted the vaccine trial this time. I, I think it's been a legitimate frequent criticism that often people of color are underrepresented in many trials, not only of vaccines, but of uh, medications and so on, or uh, other innovations. Uh, has there been any, from your view, any special reach out, any success to try to make the vaccine trial population more accurately reflect our country? Yes. Um, so that's a, a really important um, point that you bring up. And so the COVID-19 Prevention Network actually set up a national community kind of engagement group, and I'm a part of that group, um, to think about some of these issues nationally and kind of what can be done to really encourage kind of Black and Brown people to be a part um, of trials. Um, but we've also been doing that locally in Baltimore as well to try to encourage people to get involved in trials, but also just to engage the community and make sure we're getting out kind of factual information to people. I'll kind of start first with kind of the work we're doing here locally and then maybe talk about kind of on the national level. Locally here, and I've been working mostly with the African-American community um, here in Baltimore, we've reached out to a lot of community leaders um, and faith leaders to kind of bring them in to talk about COVID-19, but to make it really comprehensive. I think first to talk about a lot of the misinformation that's out there in the community, and then also to talk about kind of vaccines, vaccine trial enrollment, and also on down the road, what does it look like in terms of equitable vaccine distribution? We've had a lot of good engagement with the community around these topics, and we're actually gonna be launching a larger community engagement series. Um, but I think there's been a lot of issues that have come out of those talks too that have been really good in exchanging information between the community and an academic setting. And a lot of what's come out of that is the fears that people have around kind of vaccines. We hear a lot um, about when we think about why do people distrust the medical system or vaccine studies. We hear a lot about the larger studies that have happened, such as Tuskegee experiment, um, and why people might have distrust. 
but I think it's also just kind of the everyday interactions that people have had with the medical system, um, with research in our country. And because of the racial history um, in America, that still kind of permeates what people think about when they think about their interaction with, with medical studies. And so we have to kind of, I think, confront that head on and be open and honest about the things that have happened and be open and honest about what we're trying to do now. I think one of the mistakes that's also been made in terms of any studies is that oftentimes researchers go to the community when they want to enroll them in their study, but there haven't been kind of long-term community engagement plans. Um, and that's something on the research side that we all have to think about. And one of the things that we've talked about COVID-19, we've talked about what that long-standing engagement is, and not just around COVID-19, but why flu vaccine is important and why once we get, you know, likely several candidates that are good candidates for COVID-19 prevention, how that will be equitably distributed in the community. And so that's some of the work we've been doing here locally in Baltimore. And then on the national scale, there have also been expert panels um, set up to focus on kind of different communities to make sure that the vaccine trials are diverse. Um, it is really important that the trials are diverse because it allows us to know as researchers that this vaccine works in everybody. And so that we can say it works across different populations, young and old, different racial and ethnic groups. And we want to have that confidence when you roll out a vaccine. So it is very important. But I think before we can just expect people to enroll in a vaccine trial, we have to make sure that we're putting out the correct information, um, that people understand what's involved in a vaccine trial and the stages that we've gone through to get to phase three trials. Because I think the other concern in the community is when you hear a lot about what well, we're pushing so fast or operation warp speed to get to a vaccine that people think that steps have been skipped to get to kind of phase three. And so that's also another important um, part of this. Yeah, I, I think you bring up so many important points generally that have been already raised just about this amazing effort to try to produce a safe and effective vaccine in such a short period of time. I was wondering, since this is such a unique circumstance, do you feel the public health emergency and the pandemic has helped a bit in the sense of just a different, a very different uh, circumstance really than almost any other medical trial? Has that helped or not? Because as you know, we, we've had a lot of divisiveness about uh, the coronavirus, and it spilled over into a lot of places that you had hoped it never would <laughs> during a public health emergency. But what's your view just in, you know, in the very narrow area of just facilitating uh, vaccine enrollment, especially uh, with people of color? My sense is that particularly, you know, early on when the pandemic hit, um, and we were seeing it on the news a lot. People were tracking how many people were sick, how many deaths, you know, per state. That that inspired a lot of people to want to get involved and want to do something about COVID-19. I think my concern is, you know, the longer anything goes on, people tend to get fatigued um, about it. And I think some of that has set in. In addition to, I think, the misinformation, I think promises about when a vaccine was going to be ready um, made some people fear it was being rushed um, so we could get to that point. And that again, we were going to skip steps to make sure a vaccine was ready by a certain date. And I think some of those things have played into 
um, people's concerns about participating. You know, now as it looks like we're hitting another surge and it's again being back um, on the news again, I'm wondering if that again might inspire people to, you know, want to step up and be involved um, more. And then hopefully we continue to push to get the correct public health messaging out in the community. I think that's a very large part of this. You know, information on the web or on Twitter, or on Facebook, a lot of misinformation travels very quickly and can impact how communities feel um, about vaccine studies and other issues. And I think on the public health information side, we've got to do a better job about getting kind of messaging um, out there. Uh, the points you raise are really so apt about the fatigue aspect. Even though it's back in the news and we have more cases than ever and over a thousand people dying every day due to COVID in the United States, if you had five 737s crashing every day, it would be in the news, people would be outraged, but I think we've become inured, unfortunately. And a lot of that, I think, is because uh, a national response is really absent. It's just mm -hmm. lacking. And, and I, I'm glad that the uh, transition team is already trying to engage and highlight, but unfortunately, uh, this is still several months away. So uh, I'm hoping there's enough community effort and spirit because even though we have some very preliminary news about one vaccine, there are other vaccines that we have to understand whether they work and so on. So, and, and making sure that they're going to work in, in people that need it the most. And unfortunately, we're gonna need uh, the spirit of volunteerism here to really continue. And uh, I think efforts such as yours and, and, and engagement with community leaders are so important to see you know, if, if people can pull together. I think we did early on. Um, I'm afraid it's a little bit of everybody for themselves right now, or at least that's the sense I have. I agree. Um, I think, you know, it, it's been hard as this has gone on. And I do think the lack of a coherent national strategy has been a large part of the problem. Because even what we encounter when we're working with groups um, locally, that people say, well, you know, that's what you're telling us and this is the information you're giving us, but what we heard from national figures was different. Um, and so how do we combat that and how do we get everybody to look at it as we're playing on the same team and all trying to defeat, you know, COVID-19 and how can we work together to get there? And I think that's what we need, that sense of we're all one community trying to defeat this together. And these are the things that have been scientifically proven to work to do that. Um, and how do we get everybody on board with that? And again, I think a large part of it is going to be what our public health messaging is around this and having a national strategy um, to really pump that message to people over and over and over. So as COVID fatigue starts to set in, you still have those messages going and trying to engender that sense of community and we're all in this together. And I think that's been largely missing um, since you know the early days when I think people were very scared about what COVID was and felt like we were all in this together. But again, I do think that's waned. It worries me now that it seems like we're entering, you know, the, a new surge and people, more people are dying. And so I'm hoping that that national message will become more coherent. 
Yeah, so I, you know, I, I honestly hope that uh, some of the vaccine news is very positive and, and just the sheer effectiveness of it will uh, attract people. Of course, the safety signals, uh, we might know some early ones. We won't have the full information. And I think we have to be very transparent about that. So there, there may be risks that we just don't understand. But the quickest way, I believe, that we'll get back to whatever normal is would be by just people either doing the mitigation, which we all know about, the masks and social distancing, but putting the vaccines on top and having enough people immunized will get us there. But we're, we're going to have to try to still do this together. So hopefully the messaging will be much better. Yeah, I agree. Um, in terms of, you know, the vaccine, I, your point to us being fully transparent about, you know, what the studies would have shown in terms of safety and efficacy and having efficacious vaccines. But then one thing that does often happen in terms of getting additional safety data over the next couple years um, will be things that we will still be accumulating. But I think in terms of getting us back to some level of normal, um, having kind of a effective vaccine is a large part of that, but it doesn't mean we're going to be able to forget all the mitigation strategies that we've been using um, as well to defeat COVID. Well, I really wanted to thank Dr. Risha Irving for this segment. Uh, we, we do have another segment where we're going to address a little more about how we might address vaccine hesitancy issues and concerns that patients have. And so I really want to thank uh, you, Risha, for uh, sharing your expertise and experience and also really the fantastic work that you're doing here in Baltimore and beyond. Thank you so much. Dr. Allwater, Dr. Irvin, thank you so much for your time. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.